we are going to be planning in, in September, October to have him come again and give a full full testimony. Maybe it won't be on a Sunday morning, but maybe in one evening. But we'll, we'll have him come back and, and, and hear him again. What a wonderful, great blessing. Um, just want to say happy birthday to, um, to Oliver. Um, Oliver turned 15. He's a really great um, asset to our church as he serves the Lord at the back of the desk, doing all the, the, the computers and the screen and, and stuff. I don't know half the things that he does. But I just want to say thank you very much, Oliver. You're a blessing to Goldings. You really are. It's wonderful. Well, we're going to study um, 1 John um, in the next few weeks. We're not going to go through the whole book, but I've entitled this message um, this morning, Living Out Your Faith. Living Out Your Faith. Now, we've been looking at the Gospel of John, but John, who wrote that Gospel, also wrote Revelation. And he wrote Revelation while he was on the island of Patmos. But he also wrote the letters of John, 1, 2, and 3, John, and he wrote that while he was serving as a pastor in Ephesus. And um, this, this letter is a letter we are going to look at. And I've got three titles, and the message is not very long this morning, but I've got three titles to go through. The first one is knowing. It's knowing. Now, those of us who are parents, we know our children. You know, you see them when they're small and they begin to grow up and, and, and you know everything about your child. But do you know that when your child gets a little bit older, your child begins to know you? And I, and I remember just this week, um, I was talking with the, the kids in the kitchen and, and then Joseph decided, my son decided to do a, uh, an imitation of dad in the kitchen. And he was so right. I looked at him and I thought, how do you know me so well? And um, it was embarrassing. Everybody laughed. But he was able to imitate me completely. He knew. I thought I knew him. But actually, you know, my son knows me. And you know, the Bible wants you to know God. The Bible wants you. God wants you to know him. And in First um, John, he gives you... A glimpse into God's character. So John says this. This is the message we have heard from him and declared to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. You see what God wants you to know, what the Bible wants you to understand, that you're dealing with a God who is light, a God who is good. You know, when you read these words, in him there is no darkness at all, what it's saying is this, that in God there is no evil in him. There is no deceit in him. There is no corruption in him. No double dealing, no manipulation in God. That is quite hard for us to accept and to understand. The reason why is because we live in a society where we deal every day with people who are double dealing. People who are a bit slippery. People who are a little bit, you know, you can't really trust them. And we live in a society surrounded by people like that. And we ourselves can be guilty of doing exactly the same things. 
You know, I don't like normally quoting Satan in my sermons. But I would quote him today. When he was speaking to Job, Satan said something which is quite true. Satan replied to the Lord, skin for skin, and man will give up everything he has to save his own skin, to save his own life. And that's quite true. So many people are self-serving and self-centered. So it's very hard for us to understand that God is not like that. God is a God, as John says, who is good. There's no deceit in him. In fact, I like what, how, how, how James um, put it. James turns around and he puts it like this. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong. Never, ever is God tempted to do evil in your life. And I, I just like how, how Grant was bringing that out as well. Because the verse that I was thinking about and I written down is what Grant was actually speaking about in his message earlier on. And we know that in all things, God works for the good, for those who love him. Listen to that. God, in all things, is working for the good to those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. And sadly, because you know, so many people will turn around and, and because we got crooked and bent hearts, because we see people around us who are deceitful and slippery and tricky, we find it hard to understand that God can be so good. And we, and we reject the fact that God placed boundaries and God gives warnings because he wants to protect us, to keep us safe. You know, when my children were small, they used to go to uh, have, Grant spoke about parties, but my kids used to go to the cinemas, and then after the cinema, they used to go to McDonald's um, after that. So they would say to me, Dad, you know, can we have enough money to get popcorn and sweets and a drink while we're watching the film? And I would say to them, no, 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 um, don't have popcorn and sweets when you're watching the, the film, because when, when you get to McDonald's, when the good stuff comes... I don't know why I call McDonald's the good stuff. But when the good stuff comes, you won't be able to have it because you, you'd be filling your stomach with, with all that stuff. And sure enough, you know, they, you know, they beg for the popcorn and you give them the popcorn and the sweets and then they go to the McDonald's and they chicken nuggets come up and the fries come up and the double cheeseburgers and they take one bite because they're filled with the rubbish stuff. You know, God wants to save you for the good things in your life. That's what God wants. He wants to, you to, to bless you with the good things in your life. And so therefore he puts boundaries and he says, do not get lost in drinking and drunkenness and drugs and alcohol and loose sex and wrong relationship. I set boundaries around you. Why? Because I want you to have the good stuff that I got for you. God is good. Having Christ in your life means having one that can be trusted. Having Christ in your life means having one who will never lie to you, never deceive you, never fool you, never leave you, never forsake you. Why? 
Because that is not his character. God is light. In him, there's no darkness whatsoever. Get to know that God, his character, knowing him. That's the first thing that I want to say this morning. The second thing I want to say is about claiming. In our Bible reading, there's three big, bold claims that people make. Let's look at them very quickly. Three claims. We have this one, first of all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness. That's the first claim. Here's the second one that comes in our reading. If we claim to be without sin. And the um, third one that we see in our reading. If we claim we have not sinned. Three claims. Let's look at them one by one. The first one then. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. Here's a claim that we see often in our society. Men and women love to claim that they're having fellowship with God. Um, you can claim all you want to claim. But the proof is not in what you say, but it's how you live. You know, we have a proverb or a little saying, the proof is in the pudding. I remember we, 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 me and my family, we went out to a restaurant. It wasn't a very expensive restaurant, a pub thing. And we, we had a meal. Then we got the, the, the sweet menu out, you know, the best part of the meal. And let's look at the sweets and the, and the afters. And we go through the afters and there's, you know, apple pie with custard. And there's, you know, all these other different, um, you know, puddings. And we thought, oh, we have that, we have the other. And we chose. When the pudding arrived, I want to tell you, it was so disgusting. Half of us didn't touch it. It sounded good. It looked good when it arrived. But when you tasted it, it was horrible. It was worse than the food. And that was going to be the best part of being at this particular restaurant. The proof is in the pudding. And it's the same way. When you claim to have fellowship with God. And you walk in darkness. The two doesn't match up. In fact, the Bible says you lie and you do not live by the truth. Now, James helps us here, the book of James. See, James was concerned not about how to become a Christian. The book of James is concerned about how you live as a Christian. See, James was writing to the church. And this is what James says. He says this as he writes to the church. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims, here's that word again, claims to have faith but has no deeds or has no works, can such faith save them? That's the question. If a person claims to believe in God, claims to have fellowship with God, and yet has no works, has no deeds, his life doesn't match up what he says. Can such a faith save them? That's the question. Well, James elaborates a little bit more and he says this. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, 
is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by what I do. You know, the reason why the church is in such a mess throughout our country is because we've got pastors in the church standing in pulpits claiming to have fellowship with God and yet their lives do not match up with what they are saying in the pulpit. The reason why the church is a mess in our country today is because we've got men and women filling the pews Every Sunday morning in different churches, all coming in saying, I have fellowship with God. But when they go back out into society, their life is in such a mess that the two does not even match. The truth is, even if you say you have fellowship with God, if you're walking in darkness, you lie and you have no relationship with God at all. That's what John is saying here. That's what James is actually trying to get to, you know, to, to get you to understand you can claim one thing but the truth is something completely different that's the first claim how about the second claim that people make, here's the second claim if we claim to be without sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us now you may say and I will agree with you not many people claim to be without sin that word sin is a very horrible word isn't it nobody really wants to speak about that small tiny word sin it's a horrible word and so we we push that word to the one side and we we use other other things we say things like no one is perfect or we might turn around and say you know everyone makes a mistake or we might add You can't be right all the time. And we say these words because that word sin is so horrible. We want to push that to one side. And we use other phrases to say that, you know what, we've told a white lie and we've made a little mistake and, and no one else is perfect. And we say all these things to cover it all up. But what God is saying here is that if we claim to be without sin, we actually deceive ourselves. A clearer picture is what Jesus said to the church in Revelation. Look what Jesus says here. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You say one thing. You claim one thing, says Jesus. You claim that you're rich, you've acquired wealth, you don't need a thing. But that's what you think. But I want to tell you the truth, says Jesus. I want to tell you the truth about your condition. You may not want to mention sin in your life, but I want to tell you, you are naked, poor, blind, and wretched. You are so full of sin, even though you may not claim to have any sin in your life. This is how Jesus puts it. Let's look at one more. Before I go on that one, Jesus turned around and said, well, if you're in that position where you uh, believe that you're rich, that you've acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but the truth is 
that you are actually wretched, pitiful, poor and blind? What's the naked? What is the answer? Well, Jesus gives us the answer in the next verse. He says, listen, come to me. I counsel you to come, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Do not say I am without sin. Do not say that, oh, I make a mistake every now and again. You know, no one is perfect. That's what the world says. No, come to him in reality and say, I am who I am. There's sin in my life and I'm coming to you, Jesus. To cover my nakedness. I come to you Jesus to give me real wealth. And not the wealth that the world gives. I love what Frank said. When he said that when he had all that money when he was a young, young person. He was more poor back then. He's more rich now. As he walks around the campsite serving Christ with his pension. Far more richer. Why? Because God has his hand of blessing upon his life. That's the second claim. Finally, what's the third claim? The third claim is this. Look at this. If we claim, that's the third one, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Here's his third claim. Now, there's people who always claim not to have sinned. There's people, actually, they're really nice people. I've met some really Really nice people. You know, the people who, who work in, you know, in disabled schools or they work in, you know, with the elderly, you know, or they are part of the National Health Service and, and they work tirelessly. You know, people in the medical profession, people who, they are nice people. Really, really nice people. And we meet them every single day. They're genuinely nice. But these kind of nice people can become very arrogant. They can turn around and say something like, you know, I'm working with, you know, Down syndrome children every day and I love those children. Everybody look at them and say, yeah, aren't you a wonderful person? I'm caring for the elderly. I'm, I'm working in the NHS and the police force and in the fire brigade. You know, aren't they wonderful people? And they may say, yeah, I am. And yet, they may think that they are without sin. They can become very arrogant. Because God turns around and God says this in the Bible. Look what God says. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. God doesn't have a category of sinners and non-sinners. God has one category and he says all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. And these people turn around and say, hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah, but I work with disabled people and, you know, and, and, and I work with Down syndrome people. And, and hold on, you know, I'm a, I'm a nurse, I'm a care person, I'm in a medical profession. You know, I do good. How can you say that I'm a sinner? The Bible says, if you claim to be without sin, you're calling God a liar. Can you imagine that? Calling God a liar. And the Bible tells me God is not a man that he should lie. God is not a man like you and me that he would double deal with you and, and trick you and lie to you. No, God is not a man that he should lie. 
And yet these people had the arrogance to turn around and say, well, listen, my profession, the job that I do, I'm just a caring person, just a lovely person. I've got no sin in my life. If that's you, you're calling God a liar. I would hate to be in that position. So how should we approach God in closing? It's my last point. I want to take me another two, three or four minutes. How then should we approach God? So this is the last thing here. And I've got here confessing. Look at that verse. It's a wonderful verse. When I was a young boy growing up in Sunday school, this is one of the verses that was compulsory to learn as a youngster. And it's a wonderful verse. Look what it says. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. All the claims that men and women can say, I claim to have fellowship with God, I claim to have no sin, I claim to be free from sin, all the claims that we could say can all be dealt with in this verse. If we confess our sins, he is faithful, he is just, and he will forgive us of our sins. And cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confession. Coming to God in the right way. Approaching him in the right way. Jesus said a parable, didn't he, of two men going to pray. And two men having the different results. One man goes to pray to God. He was a Pharisee. And the Bible says the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed. God, I thank you. That I am not like the other people, other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. I claim, oh God, that I'm almost as good as you. Almost. Might not be quite there, God, but I just thank you that I'm so, such a good person. But Jesus says there's another man who stood at the door. Couldn't even come into the building. Couldn't even come to the altar. But this tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. But beat his breast and said. God. Have mercy on me. A sinner. That's the prayer. That's the prayer that God is waiting for. That's the prayer every single Christian should be praying every single day. Oh God, have mercy on me. King David didn't have a different prayer. King David had the same prayer. Have mercy on me, oh God, according to your unfading love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions and wash away my sin. He had the same prayer as this man. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And how can God have mercy upon you? How can he? You're vile. You're sinful. You're rebellious. You're wicked. How can God have mercy on you, a sinner? Well, our Bible tells us how. In our reading, look what it says. And the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. And the blood of Jesus, his son purifies us 
from some sin. No. Purifies us from most of our sins. No. The blood of Jesus purifies us from all. Hallelujah. There's nothing left. There's nothing left to accuse you. Nothing left to bring you down. He is able through the blood and the death of Jesus to forgive you, to purify you, to cleanse you, to wash you from all sin. Hallelujah. What a message. And that is the only way back to God. Forget about claiming this and claiming that. I'm claiming to be great. I claim to have no sin. I claim to have fellowship with God yet walking in darkness. All of those claims are rubbish. Just get before God and come to him in the right way. And if you do that, your sins, my dear friends, will be purified, cleansed, washed. And you'll be able to stand before him as a justified man. A man, a woman, who is approved by God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the, these letters of John. And as we just go through some of the highlights in this wonderful letter, I pray, oh God, that you will help us to live out our faith. We do not want to be men and women who are claiming one thing and doing something else, Lord. We don't want to be sitting in church one day claiming to belong to you and yet our actions tell something completely different. Help us, Lord, to be men and women who approach you in the right way, coming with confession, coming to you with brokenness, coming to you with a great need to have your spirit in us. May that be us, O oh God. And we pray all these things for Jesus' sake. Amen.